All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter number 15. Luke chapter number 15. If you were not here last week, then, uh, boy, I, I'd encourage you to go back and, and uh, listen to the message. And uh, I'm, I'm continuing uh, the same storyline that we had last week. Last week, we looked at the wayward son and, uh, and, and the effects of living a sinful life. And, uh, and we noted the message how Jesus ultimately answers uh, or is the answer to the problem of the effects of sin in our life. And, uh, and so you can go on our, actually you can go on our webpage and uh, anchorbaptistchurch.net uh, or if you go to audio.anchorbaptistchurch.net then you can see all of our audio messages listed on there and you can find that one and listen to it. But we're going to continue this story. It is a parable about that Jesus gave and Jesus is the master teacher, the perfect teacher. You'll find nobody that, that compares to the Lord Jesus Christ in their ability to teach and give the Word of God because ultimately He is the Word of God. And, uh, and so you won't find anything better than that. Uh, we're in Luke chapter number 15 and, and you know the story. And if you do not, then I'd encourage you to go back and read it. We're not going to read the first part, but I'll, I'll sum it up in saying this, that a, uh, that a son uh, went to his father and, and basically demanded and asked for the inheritance. Then he went out and the Bible says this, that he wasted his substance with riotous living. We did not get into the, uh, the way that he lived, but we certainly got into the effects of what took place by the way that he lived. And we left off uh, the son. The Bible says that he was hungry. Uh, matter of fact, he was, he was looking at hog slop and thought, man, this is what I want to eat. That's how hungry he was. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, hog slop, but I'll tell you this, there is absolutely nothing appetizing about hog slop. I'll tell you that right now. Absolutely nothing. Uh, I've been hungry and, and I've eaten things that you would wrinkle your nose at by living in a, a third world country. Uh, but I tell you what, I'm, I still would not be interested in hog slop. Uh, I don't know anybody that would. And uh, this young man had, had wasted his life, the Bible says, wasted his substance rather, and, uh, and was uh, really was desiring the hog slop. And we'll pick up the story there in verse number 15 or 17 rather, Luke 15 and verse number 17. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. 
And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in thy sight am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Let's stop right there. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. God, I thank you for uh, really the wonderful, uh, wonderful attributes that we find about the Father. God, what, a, what a, a great lesson, what a great message that you give to us in this parable. And Father, I pray that you'd use me. I pray, God, that you'll speak to hearts. God, I pray that you would uh, help us to see truly how good you are to us by way of this parable. Father, we'll thank you for that. God, will give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we look at this uh, passage, uh, I've entitled the message, The Wonderful Father. The first message was the wayward son, and now we can see the wonderful father. And there's a lot of attributes that are spelled out for us in, in this story. And I want you to understand this, make no bones about it, that the wayward son is all of us, in an essence, in our sin. And how uh, humanity, by and large, as a whole, uh, had walked away from God. Willingly, voluntarily, uh, fell into sin after God had told them not to. And all of us would say, well, I, I wasn't there in the garden. I didn't do that. Trust me, you would have made the same choice. There's no doubt about it. And, and we all sin voluntarily in our life. We walk away from the Father. And we are that wayward child. We are that one that finds, if we're not careful, our life completely destroyed by the effects of sin. And Jesus, as we saw, was the answer to that. But this morning, I want us to see not the wayward son, but the wonderful Father, and make no bones about it, that the Father uh, is the Heavenly Father in this story. And that He loves us, and that He cares for us. And we're going to see that this morning in the wonderful Father. Let me give you the definition of this word this morning. The word is forgive. And we're going to talk a lot about forgiveness. Uh, it is wrapped up in this story. And the word forgive means this, to holy, to, uh, to give holy, to make over without reservation, to resign. That's the first definition. That would be uh, to, to completely, that's talking about, uh, give over. Uh, the second definition, we'll, we'll, you'll understand a little bit better. To give up resentment or claim to requital on account of an offense or wrong, to remit the penalty of, or to pardon. That means to let go completely of any offense that has taken place in your life. Every one of us knows what it is like to be offended. Every one of us has been offended at some point in our life. 
And, uh, and so it is that letting go of that, to give up resentment or claim to requittal on account of an offense or wrong. And uh, the third definition is very close to that, to cease to feel resentment against. Uh, and so uh, those are very powerful definitions and very important definitions. This morning as we look at uh, the Father, and uh, I want us to focus primarily on the wonderful forgiveness that the Father uh, gives to His Son. I want you to notice here in verse number 18, we find the Son, let's go back to verse 17, let's go back to verse, uh, verse uh, 15, and we'll kind of get a recap on the Son here, the wayward Son. And He went and joined Himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. So here we have the, uh, the wayward son has hit rock bottom and he's, he's, he went out to try and find some work and, and he had to join himself with a citizen of that country so that he could start to work with him. Basically, he became a servant or a bond slave of that person in verse number 15. Verse number 16, and he would fain have filled his belly with the the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? Verse 18, I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. We find there in verse 18 and verse 19, I want you to notice this, the anticipation of forgiveness. The anticipation of forgiveness. Obviously, this son had it in his mind and in his understanding that, hey, if I go home, if I go back to my father's house, at the very minimal, my father will receive me back into the house and will allow me to be a servant in his house. He anticipated forgiveness from his father. And perhaps, as you think about it, maybe, maybe he had saw, uh, maybe his father had this reputation of forgiving. Maybe he witnessed a time or two that a servant had done some wrong against his father and, and his father had forgiven the servant. Or maybe it was a neighbor, or maybe it was a friend, or maybe it was a relative, uh, or whatever it was. We, he noticed that his father had the, the spirit of forgiveness within him. And so he realized, man, I am at rock bottom. Things did not pan out the way I thought they would. I didn't make it as good as I thought I would in this world. And, and things didn't work for me. And, and now I realize the error of my way. And, and I see that I'm, I'm completely helpless. But you know what? My father, he'll forgive me. And he had that anticipation of forgiveness that his father would forgive him. 
Can I tell you this morning that we serve a God who is, uh, who is ample in forgiveness. The Bible tells us that. It teaches us that over and over. 2 Corinthians 7, 14, uh, God makes a promise to the nation of Israel. And he says, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. And what? turn from their wicked way. The Bible says, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. God made a promise to the nation of Israel and he said, hey, listen, if you'll turn from your wicked ways, if you'll follow me, if you'll call on me, hey, I will forgive you. What a blessing to know that we serve a God of forgiveness. The world paints God as a God of destruction, of a God of judgment, of a God that just sits there and waits for us to mess up so that He can backhand us across the top of the head. Listen, that's not the God of the Bible. God that we serve is a God of forgiveness. The problem is... The world doesn't want a God of forgiveness. It wants a God of acceptance that says, I will accept you in your sin. I will allow you to continue in your sin and will just turn a blind eye to every sin that you commit. That's not the God of the Bible. But the God of the Bible is a forgiving God. And we thank God for that. The Bible tells us over and over, Psalm 130 and verse number 3, the Bible says, If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? In other words, hey, if, you, if you're paying attention to iniquities, we're all guilty because we've all sinned. But it goes on in verse number 4, But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. Praise the Lord for that. That's Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4. Hey, I'm telling you that we serve a God of forgiveness. Thank God for that. You want a New Testament verse? 1 John chapter number, uh, John chapter number 1 and verse number 8 and 9. The Bible says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I don't know what more you could ask or want from God because He openly says, says over and over and over in the Bible that, hey, if you'll turn from your wicked way, if you'll turn towards me, that, hey, I'm willing to forgive. And I'm just telling you that this son, he, he anticipated the forgiveness of his father because he knew, hey, my father's a forgiving person. And I'm telling you, we serve a God that is a forgiving God. I've got examples down here. You can, you can write these down. We won't go to the passages. We don't have time to do that. But you know the stories. The first, very first example, and you almost have to start here, is when Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden. I want you to notice this. Think with me. Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden. God in his sovereignty, in his all-powerful ability, could have, with his two hands, scrapped the entire world, threw it away, and started over. He could have done that. He's God. And he would have, uh, would have he's God. 
Uh, He can do no wrong. And so he could have done that. But he did not do that. Matter of fact, when God sinned, uh, or excuse me, when Adam sinned, God did not sin. When Adam sinned, God knew exactly what Adam had done. God knew exactly when it took place. And here's Adam, or God rather, he comes down to the garden. Why did God come to the garden if he already knew that Adam sinned? Because God wanted to restore fellowship with man. God wasn't interested in just scrapping it all. God was not a God of judgment that just said, hey, let's just throw it all away and forget it because man is sinful. Uh, God said, hey, he looked down and he saw Adam and he said, hey, I care about mankind and I want to see mankind restored to God. So what did God do? He came down to the Garden of Eden and he said, Adam... Where art thou, Adam? And Adam, of course, was hiding. And Eve was hiding. I don't want to get off track, but man, how silly to try and hide from God. God knew exactly where they were. But they were hiding. But the point is, God came down because he wanted to restore a relationship with mankind. And we're talking about the forgiveness of God. And in the very first sin of the world, God reached out to humanity to establish and to restore a right relationship with God. You go through several other examples. One, we'll take two other notable examples. One is David. David was a king in the Old Testament. You know that. And, and uh, he, he uh, arose to be a king there. And as he did, uh, he, he committed adultery at one time. We, we, we won't get into There's a whole bunch of messages you could go right into. There, there's just a lot you could preach there. But when he did that, he had a faithful soldier that was that woman's husband. And he uh, tried to cover up all of his sin and his adultery. And in doing so, that all failed. And so effectively, David sent his, uh, his soldier, Uriah the Hittite, to the front lines and, and sent a note which he carried by his own hand, his own death sentence, and gave it to his captain. And his captain read it and it said, put Uriah the Hittite on the front lines of the hottest battle and have all the troops pull back from Uriah. And effectively... The Bible says that David was responsible for the murder of Uriah the Hittite. So now he committed adultery. Second, he lied to a whole bunch of people trying to cover it all up and make sure that nobody found out. Thirdly, he he went as far as to murder one of his unbelievable, one of his most loyal soldiers in his army. Went ahead and had him killed. And you know what we find in Psalm chapter 51? We find David's psalm of of reconciliation or psalm a prayer of repentance. And and he says this in Psalm 51.10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And listen, God reconciled that sin with David. Oh, there was punishment, yes. 
there was still some effects of that sin that sometimes, listen, sin will mark your life and, and you just won't uh, erase all of those marks that are there. But God restored David's salvation. And we find that he was given the joy of his salvation again. Second example that I love to use is that of the Apostle Paul before he was saved. You know what he did? The Bible says in Acts chapter 8, you can go back and read it, that he went into the, uh, the, that he went into the churches and the Bible says that he made havoc of the church. That would be like if we're gathered here today and the Apostle Paul came in the back doors and he started grabbing people and, and had a paddy wagon outside and would drag them out and throw them in the paddy wagon and haul them off to jail. And, 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 and he was disruptive to the church. And, and even on top of that, he was standing there as Stephen was being stoned. And the Bible says that the people that were stoning him were laying their coats at, a feet, uh, at the feet of a man named Saul. And he was there saying, yeah, hit him again. That guy's a a heretic, and make sure that he dies for that. He was cheering on the persecution and the martyrdom of Christian men and women. That's the Apostle Paul. But, oh, God forgave him. You remember on the, on the road that the light shone and God came to Saul and said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Listen, Saul's life was gloriously changed and God gave to him a new name. And what I'm telling you is that, listen, God's forgiveness can be anticipated. And, they, and there's a lot of people who are in need of forgiveness. And our God is known as a God of, of forgiveness. He's a just God, too. There is judgment. I don't mean to say that there is no judgment. Oh, there is judgment. But listen, there's a time for forgiveness, and that time is now. We find that he anticipated forgiveness. Let me just say this, because it needs to be said. Anticipating forgiveness is not a license to sin. Understand that. This young man didn't leave his house saying, here's my plan, I'm going to go out and live in sin, and once I've hit rock bottom, then I'm going to turn around and go to my dad. I think he left the house rebellious. I think he left the house thinking, I know better than everyone, and I'm going to take the world by the tail, and I'm going to live life my way and come out on top, and found himself on bottom. And when he did, he realized how humiliating and how humbling it was to go back to his dad. He did not leave with the ideology that, oh, my dad will forgive me whatever I do. A Christian ought not live their life as a license of sin anticipating God's forgiveness. But I'm just saying that in the text we do find that the son anticipated the Father's forgiveness. Notice with me the next thing, not only the anticipation of forgiveness, but notice this in verse number 20. And he arose, the Bible says, and came to his father. But when he was a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. I want you to notice this, not only the anticipation that his father was known for forgiveness, but I want you to notice this, the attitude 
of forgiveness. I love this portion right here. This is unbelievable to me. And it exposes a lot of great truth about God. Forgiveness starts in the heart of the wronged long before the, uh, the offender ever repents and gets it right. Forgiveness, by its very nature, must start in our hearts. And we find that the father here had forgiven the son. And listen, the Bible says there in verse number 20, uh, in the middle of the verse there, after the first sentence, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him. I want you to notice this about the father, that he was watching for that son. I imagine that father out there working his fields and doing what he would have to do to keep his, uh, his home place running and doing all the chores. And, and I imagine as he'd go by, him just lifting up his eyes and scanning out there in the distance down this road or down that road and, and thinking, man, I, uh, oh, how I long to see my son return. You see, the father had, had an attitude of forgiveness and he was watching for his son and perhaps he was praying for the day that his son would return. And listen, uh, parents of wayward children, hey, you ought to be in prayer for your children. You ought to be watching for their return. You ought to be saying, hey God, I'm ready for my child to return for the faith and just keep praying and keep watching. And listen, this father was praying. This father was watching and he saw him afar off. Not only was he watching for him, but I want you to notice this in verse number 20. Uh, the Bible says, but when he was yet a great way off, the father saw him, and I love this, and had compassion on him. Boy, and then all those words, we're going to talk about them, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. He was wanting to forgive his son. He was watching for his son for that day that he would return home. He was wanting to forgive his son. Compassion is born out of a heart of love and commiseration for another, not the harboring of hurt feelings. The father could have easily said, there's my son that stole the inheritance Oh, and now he's coming back empty because he's got nothing left and he wants to live at home. That could have been his attitude, but that wasn't his attitude. His attitude was that of, oh, for the day my son will return. You know that by what took place next. That was his heart. That was his prayer. That was his concern. He desired for his son to come back. I want you to notice this. The Bible says that he ran to his son. Listen, if this is any kind of illustration of how God's love is, what a phenomenal example to us because here's the father as he's working out in the fields and perhaps he's busy and he looks off in a great distance and he sees his son and his son, I could imagine, is not running home at this point. You don't come running home when you're embarrassed, you're humiliated, you're humbled, you kind of come dragging in with your head down, man, I hope this works. I hope my dad will accept me just as a servant. The young man was not prideful, boastful, and arrogant at this point. He was not returning home demanding his inheritance or his old room back or anything else. He had hit the end of his road as far as demands go, and he was simply coming back to beg for a place as a servant in his father's house. He was greatly saddened. And I can imagine the son just dragging his feet, and the closer he gets... 
the anticipation that he would feel. Say, man, I sure hope this works. But then the father, he didn't send a servant running after this son, this wayward son. The father himself, man, he took off running down that road to meet his son. I tell you what, if that is a picture of God's love and God's forgiveness, praise the Lord for the forgiveness that he gives us. Because I tell you what, what a great illustration as he runs out and after that son. And I'm just telling you that he ran after him. Think of this. The Bible says he fell on his neck. I could just imagine him giving him a great hug. Think about this with me. The son was just feeding hogs in a, in a far country. He, he didn't have anything. The Bible says he, he, I'm sure he didn't have a change of clothes. I'm sure he didn't. He didn't even have food to take care of himself. I'm sure he was wearing the same clothes that he had fed those hogs with. And what I'm trying to say is he was filthy. He was dirty and he stank like hogs. And here's the father putting his armor on saying, I love you, son. And he didn't care about the stench. He didn't care about the dirty clothes. He cared about his son. That he had returned. That he was there. And we see an attitude of forgiveness that comes from the Father that is greater illustration than you and I could imagine. And then the Bible says that he kissed him. And listen, the son had no way of, of fixing his problems. He, he, maybe he crossed by a stream and tried to rinse himself off a little bit. Maybe uh, he did a little bit, but really there was nothing that he could do. But he did turn and he did go back to the father and he threw himself upon the mercies of his father saying, hey, I'm praying and I'm hoping that my father, he anticipated the forgiveness that he may receive from his father. And now we see the attitude of forgiveness as it's displayed by the Father, because he took off running. He was watching for him. And then, listen, he wanted to forgive his son. He took off running, and he hugged him, and he kissed him, and he wanted to see him. And I want you to notice this in verse 21, because this is incredible to me. The Bible says in verse 21, And the Son said unto him, Stop right there. Listen, before the Son had said a single word, the Father took off down that road hugged him and kissed him and was glad to see him before the son ever uttered one word. It was a wordless exchange. The attitude of forgiveness goes beyond words and it's extended to those who have not even asked for forgiveness. Think about that for a minute because if you think about this, God's forgiveness is extended to the entire world. That does not mean the world's saved, because they're not. But his forgiveness is extended to all of them. They just don't receive it like a gift. They don't, they don't accept it as the gift of salvation. But it's there because the Father has an attitude of forgiveness. We see the anticipation of forgiveness. The son says, 
My father is a forgiving person. We see the attitude of forgiveness displayed in the father by watching, wanting, and the wordless exchange that takes place as he, as he goes to his son. And, and listen, the attitude or spirit of forgiveness as described in the definition is letting go of an offense to give up resentment or claim to requital. And, and listen, I'm reminded of on the very cross that, that Jesus was hanging upon. And as he was dying, he said, these words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And forgiveness and a statement of forgiveness was issued from the very cross that he died upon. And it was available. Whether they accepted it or not, that's on them. But the attitude of forgiveness was issued from the cross of Jesus Christ. I'm just saying there's an attitude of forgiveness that's displayed here. I want you to notice this. This is where it really gets good. Buckle your seatbelt because we're going to about to go down that big hill. And I'm just saying it gets really exciting. Look at what it says there in verse 22. The Bible says this. But the go to go back to verse 21. We have the son speaking and the son said to him, "Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us, let us eat uh, and be merry for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be Mary. I want you to notice not only the anticipation of forgiveness of the son, the attitude of forgiveness displayed by the father, but I want you to notice as well the action of forgiveness. Some people display an attitude of forgiveness, but when it comes down to where the rubber meets the road, they pull back and they're not fully forgiving because they have not let go. But here the Father demonstrates, hey, not just an attitude of forgiveness, but the actual action of forgiveness in that he says, hey, it's kind of interesting because here's the Son. We see the repentance that's in his life. Verse number 18, the Bible says there, I will Arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, forgive, for I have sinned against heaven and before thee. We find in verse 21, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. And then because of that, he arose and he went back to his father. And yes, he couldn't clean himself up. Yes, he couldn't fix his problems. That's true that he was in a hole that he could not get out of, but he did know where to turn to. And he went back to the father and we find the actions and the attitudes of forgiveness as demonstrated by the Heavenly Father. And listen, he did that. And we, so we see the repentance. But I want you to notice the restoration in verse number 22. Isn't it funny? In verse 21, the son says, Father, forgive me for I have sinned against you. And it's almost like the father just ignored every word that he said. He didn't even pay attention. Seems like. And it goes right to verse 22. 
His son's talking to him, Father, forgive me. And the father turns to the servants and says, Hey, I want you to run back to the house. I want you to get a good robe. I want you to get a good ring. Hey, I want, to get, I want, you, I want you to get the shoes and put them on his feet. And I'm just telling you what a, what a great illustration of restoration. His son had only anticipated being hired as a servant. He wasn't asking for his old room back. He put me in the servants' quarters. But we find the father said, no, 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 I'm not putting you in the servants' quarters. No, no, here, here's what I want you to do. And he told the servants, hey, th- this guy was, th- his ro- clothes were probably ragged. They were probably torn. They were probably filthy. And here's the father. He says, hey, I want you to take a good robe and I want you to put it on my son. And oh, what a blessing. Listen, that God would wrap our filthy, wicked flesh in his robe of righteousness. Praise the Lord for restoration. I'm grateful that God would restore me, not based on who I am, but based on His loving kindness, based on His forgiveness, based on how, who He is and how good God is, that He would restore us. God is not looking to keep you in tattered rags. The Bible says in Isaiah 61.10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for He hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decketh herself with ornaments and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. And I'm just telling you that, listen, God has been so good to us and decking us in a robe. Oh, the son came and he said, my son, your clothes are rough. Put a new robe on that boy. Make him look nice. He gave him a robe. Not only a robe, but he said, hey, I want you to put a ring on his finger. You know what that ring stands for? It stands for the authority. He says, hey, he's part of the family. He's not just a servant on my farm. This, he carries some weight because he is part of the family and he accepted him back and he, and he said to put a ring on his finger and, and listen, he said to put shoes on his feet. I could just imagine in the poor state that this young man was in, he was barefoot walking all the way back from however far that far country was. His feet were blistered, they were calloused, they were filthy and here his father said, hey, I want you to put new shoes on that boy. If you wanted to start with an R, you could just put Reeboks, all right? I couldn't come up with any other shoe. So we have a robe, ring, and Reeboks, all right? There you go. Put new shoes on his feet. I'm just saying, boy, what God does for us. He, he, he clothes us in his righteousness. He puts a ring of authority on us and says, hey, any time that my children want to come to my throne room and talk to me, you let them in immediately because they come through the power of Jesus Christ. Not only that, but listen, he changes the way that you walk. You walk a little different when you're wearing shoes. You just do. This young man, his walk was changed as restoration took place in the action of forgiveness. If forgiveness does not include restoration, then it's not forgiveness. They go hand in hand. Of course, it has to be received by the person that needs pardon. That's understood. But they do go hand in hand. 
And we find that he was restored completely. I want you to notice in verse 23 and 24, he says, And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. There was rejoicing. Oh, listen, forgiveness is not, forgiveness is not lifting the carpet and sweeping the dirt under the carpet. The sin was acknowledged. The son acknowledged his sin. The son knew. He, he said in verse 18, I have sinned against heaven, against God, and against my father. He knew he was wrong. He repented and turned from that. When he came to his father, though his father barely even gave him time to spit the words out, he said, Father, I have sinned against heaven, against God, and against you. It's not just sweeping the sins under the carpet and accepting everything as okay. There was admittance there. There was acknowledgement of that sin. But there was a rejoicing when that, when that son was restored. Oh, what a, what a great joy that this family had been reunited. That the son, as he says, that was lost, that was dead, in his mind, as he looked down the road, perhaps it crossed his mind on more than one occasion, will I ever see my son again? Is he going to come back down the road? We find that he did, and because of that, there was rejoicing. I've talked to many people, and I've heard this sentiment on more than one occasion. People will say, well, I, man, I, I can't go back to church after what I did. I, I can't go back, and people know that I did this or I did that. They'll name their sins, and they're embarrassed, and... The truth of the matter is, every one of us, if our sins were exposed, we'd all be embarrassed. And the truth of the matter is, we don't come together because we're perfect people. We come together because we're forgiven people. And God has forgiven us. And we can rejoice not because of who I am and who you are, but because of who he is. And they threw a party when that son returned and rejoiced. And what people really don't know and don't understand is when somebody walks back into church that has walked away from God, we ought to be excited. We ought to rejoice. We ought to encourage them and say, we're glad you're back here. And I believe we do that. I'm not saying some, some places you walk in and they look down the nose at you. What's he doing here? I don't believe that's the spirit and attitude of our church. I, I believe we're welcoming church, and I thank God for that. But I'm just saying a lot of people, that's a lie of the devil that they believe. Well, I, I can't go back there. And, and listen, we ought to reach out. And, and, and I'm just saying that there was rejoicing that took place. Listen, when somebody gets their heart right, when somebody comes back to God, whether it's a wayward Christian that returns to God, or whether it's a lost person that gets their life right, hey, there ought to be rejoicing because somebody's life has been changed. It's been turned around, and the father rejoiced at that.
Listen, what a great illustration. What a wonderful attribute of the Father. He, his forgiveness was anticipated. He displayed an attitude of forgiveness, and then he displayed an action of forgiveness. And I tell you what, every one of us that are born again can thank God for the forgiveness that he demonstrates. As we stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, maybe you're here this morning and you'd say, I don't know the Lord as my own personal Savior. You can know him today by simply accepting that gift of, of salvation that he wants to give you. And you can say, thank you, Lord, for being willing to forgive me. And you can trust him as your own personal savior. He desires to save each and every person. As the piano begins to play, the altar's open. Maybe God's spoken to your heart. Maybe you just want to thank God for your salvation, the great forgiveness. Can I say one more thing this morning? We are to forgive as the Father has forgiven us. New Testament repeats that several times. Maybe you're holding a grudge against somebody. Maybe you're holding on to something that happened to you. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's a church member. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a neighbor. And you're holding on to that. Can I urge you this morning, can I encourage you to let it go? Forgiveness, the attitude of forgiveness, the action of forgiveness will help you. The Father displayed it perfectly for us. And the illustration given, given in the parable of the prodigal son. I'm grateful for the Father's forgiveness. As the piano plays, the altar's open. Maybe you need to be saved. Maybe you need to be baptized. Maybe you need to let go of some kind of grudge or, or, or something that you're holding on to. Maybe you need to trust the Lord as your personal Savior and accept His forgiveness. Sometimes we don't believe that God can forgive us, but I can assure you He will forgive you. Whatever the need, the altar's open.